Tap it, tape. Tap it, tape. Tap it, tape. Tap it, Hello, everyone, and welcome to our wonderful podcast, Tap It Takes. Um, the podcast in which we trek 10 miles on our tiny little legs to a heaping pile of steaming opinion, roll up a tiny little ball of it that's approximately five times our body mass, and uh, painstakingly roll it 10 miles back to our little abode in which our larval children await, which is you in this metaphor. I'm Mia, and this is... Elisa! <laughs> Welcome! Um, yes! All right. Uh, do you have a mini take this week? I do. You know what? Um, my mini take this week is canned pineapple is better than fresh pineapple. I'll say it. Oh. I'm not oh. afraid. Damn, I, I do disagree with you on this point. Maybe. It's like a half disagree. It's like an agree and disagree. Because, like, most most um widely available pineapple is definitely worse than canned pineapple. But every once in a while, you get a really good one. Yeah, really good fresh pineapple can be good, but most of the time it hurts my mouth, so. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that's yes. a problem. <laughs> yeah, um, and I have too many takes. One is that people should be going to zoos more, even though it is quarantined safely, um, simply because most of the zoos in America are, like, running a massive financial deficit and really need help. Um, because wow. not only are they letting go of people, but it turns out they're actually considering letting go of animals, which I find to be very sad. Um, and my second take is that the TV show Daria is very good. I've watched it not once, but twice in like the past month and it holds up. Wow. Thumbs up. I haven't seen that. And you know a lot about zoos probably, right? I do. I do. Well, I mean, at least I've been to a lot. And at one point my mother thought I should start a podcast that was like ranking zoos. She was like, you should huh. just say what the best zoos are in America. Yeah. Cause I know that a lot of people have very strong opinions about zoos, but I feel like I'm not like well educated about zoos enough to know what my opinion should be. Me either. My opinions would be really surface level. I, I really liked this one. We went to the Columbus Zoo um, and they offer camel rides, which very few zoos offer mm. because there are, well, some people find it like kind of distasteful, like some zoo managers, I guess. But this one was really good and I really liked it. And they had so many vendors and a lot of animals. They had reindeer. No, no, that was special to me. <laughs> That's good. I don't know if I knew that a reindeer was a real type of animal until I was like 12. Possibly. Yeah, either. it does seem very, it's so I don't know if I've ever Santa. seen one in person. I haven't been to a lot well, of zoos. Well, the reindeers we saw, they had, um, they all had their own personal fans trained on them, which I thought was really wonderful. And like <laughs> misters. Because I guess probably like the Columbus uh, summer is much warmer than their actual habitat. So they were all uh -huh. just sitting there chilling with like mist spraying on their face and like wind blowing their their supermodel hair is really Oh, that sounds really lovely. Yeah. Are they like, I think I realized that I don't know what a reindeer looks like. Is it like a horse, but with horns? Is it like uh, a deer? It is. Like a woodland style? It's like style both deer? and neither. I would say like combine that with an African wildebeest and you kind of get it. Like they're not really they're like the most fat? elegant. They're big? Yeah, they're a little portly. They're, huh. little, they're a little beer bellied in my opinion. <laughs> But very cute, very cute, and their horns are really magnificent. They're very sweet looking. Huh. All right. Well, great. Um, I think, okay. did I go first last time? I think I did. I, I think you did. Yeah, so I think your take should come first. I'm very excited to hear. Great. Okay, so my take, 
as per usual, is based off of, like, video essays off of YouTube. Yeah. Which is... Is it about Megan Fox? Oh, no. Wait, it kind of... Maybe just a little bit relates to Megan Fox. Very tangentially. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I should continue sourcing all of my information from, like video essays but i think there's a wealth of information there and look those people have already done the research and on this podcast yeah. we don't really care if the research we is don't, entirely 100 percent correct so yeah not only do we not care we don't condone that we don't condone yeah. doing too much our research is probably way worse than most people who do research to make a video essay <laughs> people that do video essays like really get into it like i remember yeah. watching one and I, I think this says more about me than about the video essay essay was watching but they they mentioned that they had actually watched all the movies they were talking about, and I was like, I wouldn't even do that. That's um, dedication. Very bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is my take. My take is that we need to take back the phrase, not like other girls. Um, I have kind of a soft spot for not like other girls. I think they're so funny. I, I think those memes are so, like, silly. Yeah. So for Wait, those before we that, get into it, can we explain yes. both of our, like, personal relationships with that phrase? Yes, wait, okay, let me give a little bit of context, and then we'll do okay. that. So just, like, for anyone, the uninitiated, uh, being not like other girls, that's, like, a phrase that was, like, kind of coined by movies, and eventually people started using it in, like, a meme format to post memes that were, like, other girls are like this, but I am like this, and that's why I'm not like other girls. And this is not intrinsically bad, but a lot of them kind of make, like, value judgments about what people are like based on their appearance and like what is worthwhile so a lot of the times it's like other girls like pink and care about makeup whereas I read books and wear sweatshirts so I'm a better person um with more work for society which is questionable but yeah let's talk about not being like other girls yeah I think that's one I'm, of the reasons why I did this take I'm excited to hear this take because I have very strong preconceived opinions about this take which is that I think like because of the internalized misogyny that every girl picks up like yeah. most girls have a not like other girls phase where they think that like, yes. generally girls are bad and they because they do not conform to what they have been taught that girls are like that they are better um or at least like different and more unique and special and I think that's true because I think I yes. and every other girl are exactly like other girls in the way that every girl is the same and also unique <laughs> each other in yes. the same amount, basically. Right. And there's no so way I want to like get into that. Yourself against every other girl in the world. It's true, and I really want to get into that, and I really want to talk about like, I would love to hear at the end, especially like what your specific journey has been, because I definitely went through a lot of like these phases. Yeah. Um, and kind of want to like talk about that. Um. So yeah, let's let's jump right into internalized misogyny because that's like usually what people that's what people tend to think is the um, reason for uh, logs, not like other girls, um, which is basically that. Yeah, I know. Um, so Sarah Zed, the wonderful vi- video essayist who also did the video essay on um, who wrote My Immortal, wonderful. Um, is the one that acronymed it. And I was like, I'm totally stealing that. That's the cleverest thing. Wait, I so, might have watched the USA. Can I just say? Good. Good. Um, right, it so internalized misogyny. Ago, I don't entirely remember it. It was an older one. It was an older one. Um, internalized misogyny is basically like um, our culture and especially our, our media priming people to think that stereotypically feminine things are silly and frivolous. And so in order to be taken seriously and to be uh, 
quote unquote serious person, you have to distance yourself from them. Um, and so in a lot of movies, not being like other girls is used as the reason why the protagonist or like the main female gets the guy or like triumphs over evil. Um, and, you know, there's obviously some truth to this idea, or at least it feels very misogynistic when people post the ones, especially that make like judge really stereotypical judgments about women where it's like, because you're blonde and pretty and care about fashion, you can't also be smart and like deep or whatever's good now, um, which is obviously untrue. Um, of course, this internalized misogyny, I feel like comes with some baggage, um, specifically about the topic of like, are these, are these N-logs, are N-logs motivated by desire for male approval? Uh, and this comes up a lot because there's a, some people refer to N-logs as pick-me's because they're saying, because I am not like other girls, you should pick me. I find this to be really problematic and kind of gross in a way because this kind of like reinforces this idea that women do things for men, which is not 100% true. And I also think, um, I also think there's like questions to be asked about this because it's like, how, how easy is it to tell like what is male approval and what is societal approval? Because especially cause like we have a patriarchal society. So those things often overlap. Um, and that is demonstrated by the fact that women who look better often get paid better, which is, so like women who look more stereotypically feminine often get paid better, which is sort of like, Look more stereotypically feminine or like conform to beauty standards? I mean, that's, they're kind of, I think they're kind of similar things. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is not the most coherent argument, but I just, I do feel like um, you can't divorce male approval from any of it. And so I don't think we should be so quick to jump to the assumption that trying to distinguish yourself from other girls in whatever way necessarily is a play for male approval, even though there are yeah. definitely people who have specifically done that. Uh, and I feel like a lot of um, situations in which, like, a girl will say that she's not like other girls, it's often to prove something to herself. Yes, I agree. And I also think there's just so much, there's a lot of other, like, baggage and connotation and meaning behind saying that. Yeah. Especially because I think it's so hard to figure out what is, like, when, like, what is just, like, trying to get literal, like, what is the patriarchy and what is approval? Um, and so I want to talk like a teeny bit about the male gaze, which I relied entirely on the video essayist Lindsay Ellis for. Um, yeah, which which is how Megan Fox relates because her video essay mm. is about the classic Michael Bay franchise Transformers, which Megan Fox a lot of male gaze in that. <laughs> yeah, but she's she is robbed that woman. That woman mm. has received a lot of flack that she does not deserve. Exactly, Megan Fox and Jennifer's Lindsay Body is the greatest film that has ever been produced. <laughs> I have yet to watch it, and that is it's so an good. unfixable sin that I will have to work on. I do penance. Um, right. So, Sarah Z mentions, like, there's bigger societal pressures in that, like, when you're young, all merchandise for girls, or at least a lot of it, really is, like, stereotypically feminine and is pink. And so, if you don't like pink, or even just, like, like another color it's you want to distance yourself from that um which isn't necessarily you rejecting 
other girls so much as it is rejecting like what seems to be society's idea of femininity being pushed onto you. Um, and I and male gaze I think factors into this idea where it's like a lot of movies and a lot of stories are crafted in such a way that like not only are like so many women are secondary that being different just means that you get like more lines and more story and are more interesting. And so I think that's an interesting thing to consider when you're talking about not wanting to be like other girls because is it so bad to want to like have lines and like be important to the story or like not be hated and thought of as like a villain? Um, and so I think there's like, I think there's a vicious cycle with not wanting to be like other girls where it's like, I think we all are, we have a desire to not be like other people which is so, that's so basic, because it's like, if you were like other people, people would just treat you like other people, including people that you want to treat you differently, like your parents and your friends and other people that are close to you. And so I think this possibly natural desire to be like, to just be different from other people um, is what, well, among other factors, like bullying causes people to talk about not being like other girls. And then this backlash against being like, uh, well, against not being like other girls offends the other girls, um, which tend to be people that conform better to like society's ideals of what women are, which is a whole can of worms. But I think what ends up happening is it reinforces this idea that you can only either be like other girls or not like other girls, which I think is bullshit. Because as you said earlier, I feel like most people are both. Um, most people are kind of in the middle. Like we're all a little bit like other girls and we're all a little bit unique. If you're talking about being like other girls as being like the archetypal stereotype, yes. like feminine girl. Well, and also just literally like other girls. Like we're all a little bit like literal yeah, other we're all feminine similar. identifying people. <laughs> yes. And yeah. a little bit not like those people. Yes. I just wanted um, to clarify which one you're saying. <laughs> right. Right. And I just, um, I wanted to ask, is it so wrong to be different? And especially because it seems to me looking at some of this, and it's sort of hard because no one's done like actual research on this that I could read and be like, aha, I'm right. But is there a double standard? Is it okay for men to want to be different and not okay for women to want to be different? Um, Here's the thing, can I, do you have more points? Or can I offer my- Oh yeah, sure, but please, please interrupt. Yeah. In answer to your question, I think the problem lies not in wanting to be unique, but in looking down on other people who you see as not being unique. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, thinking that you're unique and you're special as long as you don't think that other people who have different interests and lifestyles and whatever than you are worse for it. And I think oftentimes, like, that is something that, like, intrinsically comes along with thinking you're not like other girls is that other girls are yeah yes and I think I don't know whether to address this right now or to like talk more no I think I'll do both um well so basically I wanted to acknowledge that there may be a double standard and I think that there is additional baggage around being a woman that makes it harder for a woman to say I'm not like other women without saying women are worse than me whereas men don't have to do that. And I can't like exactly put my finger on what that thing is. I think it has something to do with the fact that what it means to be a man is a lot broader and a lot less defined than by what it means to be a woman. 
-hmm. And so it is easier for men to say, I am different from other men without having to say I'm better than other men than it is for women to say I'm different from other women um, and not say that they are better than other women. Yeah, I think that, because like when you think of like a a well-known man who is well-known for being unique like Steve Jobs, like yes so he is praised for being unique and being innovative in his ideas and his practices but that's different like the way that what am i trying to say (laughs) sorry i'm forming ideas in the moment but like he is viewed like as himself above just a general vague like this is what you were saying yeah um, the vague teeming masses the general populace and steve jobs is up here and everyone else is down here but there's it's not like there's anything wrong with being like everyone else or every other man who does things differently because that's yeah. how everyone is but if you say like if you tell a woman that she's not like other women then that is somehow telling her it that other women she's... are bad right and that definitely has to do with like internalizes societal misogyny and saying that yeah. stereotypically feminine things are um bad which i think is an interesting thing because it's reflected in like in the 70s feminism was a lot about being unfeminine as a way to try and say that we don't have to be like a housewife yeah Um, women don't have to be housewives and then later on in the 90s they're like oh but it's okay to be girly because we are who we are and there's no reason that being stereotypically feminine is any worse than being stereotypically masculine or androgynous Mm -hmm which is absolutely, I agree with that 100%. Um, But I understand both views because I think what ends up happening for women is that they have to carry, like, I think it happens with all minorities and I think there's still remnants of it with women where it's like, when a woman does really anything, she has to do it, like, and ostensibly represent what it is to be a woman. Mm -hmm. Whereas a man is like, it's just a person. Um, Yeah, like male performance is like the default. Right. Um, and I find that to be very unfair to say the least, um, which is part of the reason why I don't like the idea of not being like other girls because I watched another YouTube video in which it was a man commenting on what was happening. And I was like, this feels really, it felt really gross to me because I didn't feel like he could understand exactly the feelings of these women, even though they were making really kind of silly and trite memes that weren't even that funny. Um, it just felt wrong that he was like commenting on it. Um, yeah, I just did. I don't know. Um, and that being said, like we should definitely mention people that are not on the conventional gender binary. Um, from what I understand from ContraPoints, it def- I mean, definitely this functions differently. Um, and I think a lot of people who don't exist on that binary, um, like trans people, for example, at least Contra wants to present like the, the gender that they want to be gendered as. Um, and so in this way, they both reinforce and challenge that binary, which is interesting. And like, it should be acknowledged that not being like other girls has interesting implications on people that are um, not like those girls or not like other girls. I don't know how to put it. Not like any girls. Um, yeah, <laughs> or just, yeah. And so basically watching that YouTube video with a guy who was like, it almost felt like mansplaining and it's not even the right word because he had the best of intentions and on some level it's like you should not agree with a lot of these end logs because a lot of what they're saying is misogynistic and deeply offensive to a lot of women 
but on another hand kind of ignores i think the fact that for a lot of women this is like it comes from a feeling that is really like i would empathize with that feeling it comes from feeling alienated and sometimes it comes from being bullied and literally not being like other girls like i'm sure minority women or like trans people or people that identify as female that aren't are just anything people that literally aren't like a majority of women really struggle with this and really struggle with having to fit into that binary um and i think because there's all there's all like we don't really know why people don't want to feel or like case by case why an individual wouldn't want to feel like another girl i feel like it's a little um it's a little cruel and it's a little premature to just across the board hate all these end logs especially because it just feels really like it's like another wave of misogyny it's like using their misogyny to be misogynistic against them yeah and that's why i think we should take back not being like other girls because when it comes down to it am i like other girls yes and no so like, why shouldn't I be allowed to be like other girls and also not want to be like other girls? Can I jump in with a point? Please do. I feel like a lot of the time, the hatred, and this might, like, be what you were talking about when you watched the the video with the man who was commenting on, like, not like other girls memes. Um, I feel like a lot of times, like, when people are being, like, woke, um, or trying to be woke about this topic, they yeah. uh, they point a lot of their hatred towards the girls who are posting this and saying yes. that they're not like other girls. And I think this is what you're saying, is that that is, like, not the point. And just because it's, like, no. a messed up concept that is rooted in misogyny and internalized misogyny, misogyny, the thing that we should be hating is the misogyny and not the person who is posting it because, like, like I said earlier, like, almost every girl has gone through this phase and so, like, you need to be sympathetic <laughs> that this is a product of society. Every so society. much. <laughs> I know, it's so complicated. It's so complicated. And the idea that anyone could reduce it down to, like, wanting to be like other girls or not wanting to be like other girls is crazy to me. Um, especially because I feel like even now that I am somewhat older and not a teenager, technically, um, I, like, want to be like other girls and don't want to be like other girls and kind of hate myself for both of those feelings. Um, on occasion, not constantly. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I want, I really want to destroy the idea of being like or not like other girls. And that's why I think we should try and take back the idea of not being like other girls. Because if we define, if all people that identify as female define themselves as not being like other girls, then it's like, what can they do to us? I mean, ideally, that's what, that's ideally what society would can you explain what you mean by taking back the term? Do you mean that we should all be saying that we're not like other girls? Right. So this is where it gets complicated because I'm not clear on the mechanics of taking things back necessarily. But it's like, I think if everyone says it, like it's one of the biggest problems is that it's a select group of people that say it. And so therefore are often guilty of being misogynistic and also often hated. Um, I don't have obvious numbers, but part of the problem for me stems from the fact that I think frequently a lot of these girls who are N-logs frequently are not like other girls in some ways and are frequently actually outcasts or like bullied or maybe minorities in some way that makes them feel like they are not like other girls and this is why they make these posts and this is, and however missing, you know, however silly they are, they don't necessarily deserve this hate. So I think if we all, 
And because these posts have reinforced this idea of you're either like other girls or not like other girls, if we kind of like just choose one, then we can kind of diffuse some of that. And then it's not so much about, there's not so much hate over like whether you are like other girls and think of yourself as being like other girls and feel like a stereotypically feminine person. Or if you don't feel like a stereotypically feminine person and feel excluded from a lot of stereotypically feminine pursuits and perhaps also like other female friendships, it's not, it's just like not about that anymore. So if we all insist that we're not like other girls, then we're all the same in a way that's very comforting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If no one is like other girls, everyone <laughs> is. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be fair, I could have also said that we should all claim that we are like other girls. That just seems a little less empowering, I guess. And I think it's nicer to say that we're, and also, I mean, that would just be like, that would kind of a little bit be reverting back to what it was like in the 1950s when literally all women did have to strive to be similar. Mm -hmm. And so I would rather try and reclaim the idea of us not being like other girls together. And so all girls can be like other girls and that they are not like other girls. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Yeah. But I think that would cure the double standard that, which is my ultimate concern. Mm-hmm. And now that I have done my take, I do wish I had organized my document better. But also, at, like, when you're in it, you don't know. <laughs> when I was writing it, I was like, this makes sense to me, I think. And then afterwards, I was like, maybe not. But yeah. But I hope you enjoy it. And I'm, I'm so glad. I'm actually really glad that you're, like, not for that. Because it was interesting to, like, try and explain. Yeah. I do understand yeah. where you're coming from. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to, well, I'm still trying to, like, navigate how I feel about that. I just think that it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to reclaim any term or phrase that has such negative connotations around it. So it would be really difficult. Right. But I I do understand the, the impetus behind it. Right. Good. I mean, yeah, my hope was that the idea of people wanting to not be like other girls was not so deeply offensive, although the misogyny is not great. I mean, like, I don't know how. I just feel like in a way that's not so bad like as that it couldn't be reclaimed. So I was like, we can try yeah. and reclaim it. I think it's a good thing to strive to be unique. But like also, if you don't feel like doing that, you shouldn't have to, you know? <laughs> like right. if you like it, like there's nothing wrong with liking things that are popular. Right. But I guess my hope is like we all learn that your likes, your appearance, and a lot of your behaviors don't determine your worth to society <laughs> is what it is yeah that's a so, tough yeah. thing to convince a lot of society <laughs> right and i don't i don't really know if i think it'll happen because i think every society i think like you have a society because you make a valid judgment about certain things mm-hmm. um, but that is too depressing to think about for me <laughs> so <laughs> So we're just talking about our, our experiences of not being like other girls and or being like other girls. So go, because I forgot to bring this up. I was just, I mean, I haven't like, so when I was in, like when I was a little kid, right. like my favorite color was like on and off, like pink with other okay. colors sometimes. Um, but I was like, kind of like, I was into girly stuff um, as much as like any girl is not like extremely but like I like to play with Barbies and stuff 
Um, yeah. And I was kind of a, like, I don't know if there is such a thing as like being a weird kid. I don't know. I feel like I was kind of a weird kid. I was always like, I don't know. I've always been very experimental uh, with like <laughs> fashion. <laughs> um, and like very interested in expressing myself and and I was like always like the smartest kid in the class I guess which kind of did give me a little bit of a superiority complex I feel like because yeah. also when I was like a kid like in elementary school or um I remember people like adults like my parents and relatives and like other adults in my life would tell me that I wasn't I don't know in so many words not like other girls but I think that's what I got from it um like I think there's a fine line that you walk when you tell a kid that they're unique um and and do so in a way that you're not putting down other kids um because I I think I did in a way view myself as better than other kids but not like in a way that affected too much of how I interacted with people. I think it's natural. I don't know, but then, yeah, and I didn't really get, like, the complex, I guess, that, that everyone has, um, there was just lightning outside, so you might hear thunder, um, (laughs) uh, until probably junior high, um, when I went through, like, the quirky girl phase that everyone goes through, and I, like, would pride myself in being not like other girls and I like had a little bit of the phase where you like reject pink and you reject girly things um because of your own built-up internalized misogyny and the yeah have been taught is acceptable to express yourself um but I got over that quickly um I remember and that was probably late elementary school also when that started happening because I remember telling my friend, my best friend in elementary school, um, we would talk about like girly girls um, and how we didn't want to be like them. Um, and I remember, this is very embarrassing and cringy, but I remember telling her like, if you ever see me start to like wear makeup and like do girly things, oh, like no. yes. slap me, like slap some sense in me, like <laughs> stop me. And she took it to heart because then in like seventh and eighth grade, I started like thinking it was fun to like experiment with makeup um, yeah. and like wear girlier clothes. And like I would wear, I rocked the like blue eyeshadow in seventh grade. Yes. Because I thought it was fun, not because necessarily because yeah. it's like, because it was me being feminine or anything, I guess mm-hmm. it was, but, um, or like me trying to look pretty. I don't think that's how I thought of it at first. Um, I mean, I guess makeup does kind of become that. Um, and I still do love wearing makeup and I love experimenting with it. Um, but I remember, yeah, that same friend came back to me and like several of my other friends in seventh grade and they would make fun of me and they would be like, oh my God, yeah. why are you like, why are you wearing makeup? You don't need to wear makeup. Like, you're being so girly and weird. Um, so that was weird because I feel like I grew out of the phase, like the not like other girls phase a lot, or at least the like hatred of like traditional femininity phase a lot quicker than a lot of my friends did. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of felt like, in a weird way, like bullied from the inside. <laughs> that 
murdered myself, like from the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, right. Yeah, but it definitely was cemented in me at a young, young age that I wasn't like other girls and that's something that I had to unlearn about myself. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. I am not like other girls, but also every other girl is not like other girls, like you were saying. Yes. And yeah, there's an odd thing about that where it's like you can't really win. But I guess like I was kind of similar, kind of different. Oh, did it change for you at all in high school, actually? I'm curious. I don't think your so. Kind of I think my thing. journey was pretty linear. Like, in junior okay. high, I kind of grew out of it, and I started being, like, more interested in okay. traditionally feminine things. And then in high school, I just continued along that path, because then a lot of my friends started also, like, being interested in that kind of stuff, so they kind of mm -hmm. caught up. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was definitely a bit of a tomboy-ish when I was younger like in elementary school before um if I had to like talk about why I was a tomboy I'm not really sure it actually had anything to do with being more masculine because I really didn't do like stereotypically masculine because I didn't really do any sports I was just I feel like that's often a thing that's like that's associated like with being a tomboy yeah, I didn't like pink, and I liked basically Avril Lavigne, to be honest. Mm. Um, and emo, and not like other girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but young, and so it was basically like at that time I thought, oh, I didn't like pink, and I'm a tomboy, and therefore I hate all girly girls. Um, there is an interesting I, thing with like like female pop punk music, like yeah like Avril Lavigne and hating like, on yeah um what the heck is the song called by Paramore uh god that's not feel so good that's not what it's called no what the heck is the song I know every word of the song but I can't remember what, <laughs> what it's called uh misery business Yes. Oh my God. Misery business. My paramour is misery so business. misogynistic, but it's also such a bop, and I love it. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, for I mean, at least it's fast. Like, at least you kind of can't catch half the lyrics. So yeah. You can just, <laughs> just get yeah, into it. I don't it. think when I was yeah. going through my like original emo phase, I don't think I really knew what that song was about. <laughs> right. But if we're gonna be like, I don't know if I'm right about this, but I think if we're gonna try and contextualize it. They don't literally, like, it's obviously in retrospect misogynistic, but at the time, they were probably, like, trying to prove that you can be like us and still be a woman and, like, care about shit. But that could be, be that could be being too kind, actually. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so in elementary school, I was, like, pretty, I thought I was a top boy. And then in middle school was when I kind of suddenly realized at very least that I wanted to fit in and so that's when I started learning a lot of stuff um about like I started trying to dress like other people because I did not dress like other kids that's for goddamn sure because my mother bought me whatever clothes my grandmother thought would look good on me and I wore them and so I looked crazy all the time I had it a pair of hot pink sweatpants that I wore in middle school and I a pair of boots I refused to not wear so I literally only wore like a pair of knee-high leather boots all the time I just looked really weird in middle sure. school yes that's actually for all of sixth grade and I then I wore them out completely and had to stop wearing them 
Um, right. But basically, like, I don't really approve or disapprove of that in any way. I just know that when it came to about seventh grade, I realized I started, everyone else was wearing jeans and I should wear jeans and everyone else is wearing graphic tees. And so I started wearing graphic tees <laughs> and, and like, Wait, did you have, this I mean, is a tangent, but did you have a, a right. like a favorite cringy, like slogan tee in middle school? No, I bought a lot of like, I think Kohl's came out with a line of t-shirts that was like trying to look like band t-shirts but actually said nothing on them mm. they just were kind of graphic generic graphic d's that's fun so I, I was a that. big fan of the like Beatles the quirky shirt. weird slogans that were on t-shirts like my favorite shirt um in middle school was one with a little alien on it and it said I eat brains you're safe <laughs> Um, similar to, I've talked to, That's I've good. talked to my roommate Carter about this, and he had, um, a shirt that said, sarcastic comment loading, please wait. Right, <laughs> oh, I remember kind of, That's like a, I feel like those types of shirts are like personality pieces. I remember those shirts, but I didn't really have the cognizance or whatever to even get those shirts. I, be, I got a Beatles, a Coles Beatles t-shirt, because I thought that people liked the Beatles, and I hadn't even listened to their music, I was just like... I hope people like me. <laughs> right. Um, but I also feel like this ties in a lot to like, quote unquote, coming of age. Because there's also an odd thing where sometimes you're like, I want to be like, a, there's a weird amount of pressure to be like other girls when it comes to when you start getting your period and start shaving and stuff, which is very odd. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt a lot of that pressure. And so, yeah, that's that lives with me sometimes. Um, and the idea, I didn't even know that I had to use deodorant until like later than all of the girls in my gym class, which was interesting. Yeah, so that that's when I actually swung way back towards being like other girls and being quote like more. It was basically more feminine, but I was doing it to fit in with the other girls. Yeah, and that's you can tell I'm more feminine because I have a bunch of like bat mitzvah dresses that I bought during that time, and they're really the same ilk. They're very frilly. They're very they're very girly. Um, stereotypically girly um, and yeah and then in high school was when I finally like worked through I think it was a bit of a backlash against trying to be like other girls so hard though and feeling like I was failing and then I was like whatever I'll just do whatever and that's when I discovered Instagram and like the Instagram model and the Instagram fashion and street wear and it's been uphill slash downhill since there so, yeah. <laughs> I really I made some choices I really tried to not be like other girls. I really went for like, I would, there was days where I would just wear gold eyeshadow up to my eyebrows or silver eyeshadow up to my eyebrows. Yeah. And that was just my look. Um, I can't even imagine what teachers think when they see like a 16 year old like that, but I stand by it. Yeah. yeah. I did, I did a lot of that in like seventh grade. I would do the like blue eyeshadow on my entire eyelid and then I would do the blue eyeliner. But I was like, if I'm wearing eyeshadow and eyeliner, I feel like it's too much makeup if I also wear mascara. So I wouldn't wear mascara on those days. Um, and I'd only wear mascara if it was by itself. So it was really pretty awful choices there, but I was expressing myself and I don't think that I regret it I don't I don't, really I don't. but I also have to say I did have a I had a similar moment where I remember a girl she wasn't trying to be like mean but she I was wearing I think I, I was like maybe the first or second day I'd ever worn mascara in my life she was like are you wearing mascara and I I, I literally was like no I literally was like no I am not 
And I stuck with that lie. <laughs> she didn't believe me, but I stuck to it. But it's so odd. It's just so odd all the like signals yeah. you get about. There's a lot of weird trying to live. Yeah, I just want to. I'm just trying to be whatever. I mean, it's it stays with you at least until your twenties because that's where yeah. I am. Because like I feel like I do see other people, and I'm like, well, I don't. I don't look like you. That's for sure. It's not a bad thing. It's just like, hmm. yeah. I think it still it still comes with a little bit of like a twinge of like, oh, I'm not like all other girls, but that's not. You lose it. You lose it as you get older, for sure. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you learn that like people aren't bad. They're just different. And yeah, that's fine. And you like meet a wide variety of people, so you see like all yeah. of the different ways that people are. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. That's part of the reason why it's really interesting to watch Daria now, because, like, it's pretty much true to my high school experience, but it's not exactly necessarily how I saw it when I was in high school, where it's, like, there's a bunch of other people, and none of them are bad. Like, the popular people aren't mean, and they're not bullies. They're just, like, popular and different and privileged sometimes, a lot of the time. And But, like, yeah, I mean, that's just who they are, and they're not out actively out there to, like, make your life worse and make you feel excluded. That could mm-hmm. be the result, but it's not what they're trying to do. Right. So I have at various points in my life, my life identified with not being like other girls. Yeah, I think in high school, I will say I definitely veered into like, I am not like other girls for a tiny bit and then pulled myself out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Oh, like, this is why we went back and recorded this part is because I remember that in high school, um, a boy told me, I love that you drive. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> And I was 16 years old, and I was like, everyone drives. <laughs> and that was just a weird thing that really stuck with me over the years. Because um, it was very much a, you're not like other girls type of thing. Like, type that's of thing to tell me in. And I was like, that's very strange. <laughs> literally, that's silly. Like, when you live yeah. where I lived in high school, like, you have to you drive have to when drive. you turn 16. Yeah. You can't get anywhere. <laughs> I still I still sometimes have dreams about what it's like to try and park at my high school, which is a very tidbit, <laughs> a niche tidbit. I literally have dreams where I have to park on someone's driveway and fear that I'm going to get towed, which is not, like, that's not even a thing that ever happened. But I, I have that dream. I have it. Well, so, yeah. Okay. Right. I hope well, this was, I hope, like, it, this was good for people to hear, especially regarding, like, kind of a sensitive topic about what it is to be a girl and not be a girl, whatever that means to you, and, like, at least you know where we're, where we're coming from, because I don't claim to be super knowledgeable about everyone's viewpoint. I just don't. Yeah, because everyone experiences this, like, topic in a different way. Yes, and, yeah, and <laughs> I am painfully aware that my, my, discussion about what it is like to be non-binary and have to deal with not being like another girl was like four sentences because they only know that much so yeah yeah but yes okay on with the takes this was fun regularly scheduled takes my take is very simple it can be boiled down to one sentence which is sad songs are better than happy songs sad songs (laughs) sad, sad songs 
sad music is better than happy music. Um, and this is something that I believe oh God. very oh no, You firmly. asked me for my playlist. Yes, I, I just did. How much I affirm. Okay. Um, okay. So I. This is a belief that I have had for a long time. Um, that. I then set out to find material evidence for or against. Um, And I found some interesting data in the process. I did a lot of data calculation. I made a whole system, numerical system. Um, So what I've done is with all of the music that I have analyzed, and I will get into what that is, um, I, I ranked everything on a scale of negative one to one, with negative one being happy, one being sad, and zero being neutral. And so there's not really much leeway. I didn't go into percents. I didn't go into like like fractions or anything. I just gave every song that I looked at either a negative one, a zero, or a one. Um, And I I calculated this. I call it the sadness quotient. Um, And so I'm going to expose both you and me a little bit. here for how uh, happy and or sad, Ooh. basic and or strange our music tastes are. There's a little of both. Uh, your music taste is more strange than mine. I think mine is more basic, um, <laughs> generally. Um, so, so I went through a, a bunch of the songs that you sent me. So Mia sent me a list of songs and a list of albums um, that are her favorites of all time. Okay. Um, and I went through them and I think it'd be fun to say some names, but I don't have to say names if you don't. Um, you can. I just want to interrupt and say, like, I'm going to be very outed and exposed because I suspect that my sadness quotient is, like, off the charts. Well, well, in comparison to me, though, you have to remember oh, okay. you're comparing yourself to me, <laughs> who has the <laughs> oh, avid belief that sad music is the best kind of music. Um, but we're also, we are, the two of us, comparing ourselves to the rest of society later on. Right. Um, or at least the rest of the United States Billboard Top 100. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so to start off with, um, I went through and I calculated the status questions of all of the songs that you sent me, um, ranging from Babushka by Kate Bush, which I gave a zero, oh. um, just, to, right. just to, like, orient yourself on the scale. Babushka by okay. Kate Bush got a zero for neutral. Um, you actually didn't have any songs that I gave a negative one for happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> An Anchor of Land by PJ Harvey, I gave a one for sad. Um, ah. The Dresden Dolls, I gave a one. Um, mm. And some key, some key words, some key descriptors that I pulled from your songs. I kept some notes um, of adjectives to describe the songs. Um, besides just that, because I'd like to say that there are other emotions in music besides happy and sad, um, and we will get into that later. But by a sad song, I mostly mean a song that is not happy, a song <laughs> that has negative emotions, negative feelings tied to it, a song that is about subject material that is not happy, a song that makes you feel bad. <laughs> but that's it. That's oh. the question. Um, so of all the songs that you sent me, your overall sadness quotient um, on a scale of negative one being happy, one being sad, you got a 0.77. Okay. That's pretty high. It's pretty high. You also only gave me, I also only looked at nine songs. So right. you could right. really only be so high. But 
Yes. Um, so then I looked at a couple of the albums. You sent me a lot of albums and a lot of just general yes. artists. Um, yes. And I, I wanted to invest time into a number of things. So I looked at two albums um, because I had to go through all of the songs on the albums and I did not know either of these albums going into it. Um, but I looked at Waves by Bitter Ruin. Um, right, okay. Some adjectives that I wrote down were mysterious, wistful, <laughs> and angry. Um, and the overall sadness quotient of waves is 0 0.64. Okay. Pretty sad. Wow. Um, I That's also really in depth. Negatives. Um, so no happy songs on that album. And I also look at Shallow Ruman by Christine and the Queens. Um, oh. Which also did not have any happy songs on it by my. I also, all of this is completely subjective because sometimes I would listen to a song and just. I looked up the lyrics of all of the songs. Right. Because I was. So I'll also touch on this later, but there are often songs that sound happy, um, but have right. sad lyrics. And I'd like to um, refer to this as the Casey Musgraves phenomenon um, <laughs> happy and sad at the same time, if you will. Right. Um, Such a good song. Yeah, so my, my go-to, um, like, song to explain this phenomenon is Nobody by Mitski, which sounds like it should be a very happy song. It's upbeat, it's danceable, it's in a major key, I think, um, for most of the time. Um, uh, but actually, it's one of the saddest songs in the world. <laughs> it's all about loneliness. Um, so some, some descriptions I wrote down about Shadow Man by Christine and the Queens is yearning, mysterious, and defensive. Um, okay. And the overall sadness quotient for that album is 0.64. So the same as Waves by Bitter Ruin. Wow. I had seven I also... out of 11 songs on the album were sad, and uh, four out of 11 were neutral. Neutral. I would definitely follow if you created a blog that was just ranking the sadness of albums. I had a great time doing this, so I would, <laughs> I would <laughs> happily do that. Okay. Um, so let's move on to my sadness questions. I'm also going to expose myself. Yes. Um, so I ranked a bunch of my songs. Um, uh, I did not, I also did not have any songs on my list that ended up being a negative one for Happy. Um, oh God, the two of us. Um, so to, to get a, your bearings on my list, You Turn Me On on a Radio by Joan Mitchell is a zero um, for neutral. And Scorpio Rising by Soccer Mommy a one for sad. Okay. That's a sad song. Um, so my overall status quotient um, out of the 14 songs that I looked at is 0 0.79. So I oh. just barely edged you out at 0 0.77. <laughs> um, but it might have been because I looked at 14 songs of mine and you only gave me nine songs. So if all right. was fair, it might have been right. the same. So we have <laughs> about the same um, sadness quotient in our overall favorite songs. Um, right. Two albums that I looked at for myself. Um, were a Stranger in the Alps by Phoebe Bridgers, which is a remarkable album. And I would have looked at Punisher also, but I ran out of time. Um, but that's one of my favorite albums. And ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, please. The satisfaction of Stranger in the Alps by Phoebe Bridgers is a 1.0. <laughs> Every oh. song on that album is sad. That's incredible. And that's, that's really one of my favorite good. albums. And I feel like <laughs> if I had looked at Punisher, it probably also would have been the same. And Phoebe Bridgers is like, one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, <laughs> the other album that I looked at 
um, was control by SZA. Um, okay. And her status quotient is a 0 0.5. Um, um, a, there was actually, I ranked one happy song on the album. I don't remember which one it was. Um, wow. Was either neutral or sad. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that is my, my argument that I'm going off of as a basis right. for why sad songs are better. Um, can I guess what's going to happen? Yeah. Can I guess that we're probably sadder than the Billboard 100? <laughs> you can guess that if you'd like. <laughs> okay. Well, that's my that's my current guess. I don't I think yeah. I'm going to be. I'm pretty sure. I actually <laughs> found some, some shocking stuff, but I will say you okay. are correct. Um, <laughs> we do listen to quite sad music <laughs> compared to the average uh, person in the U.S., or at least the average radio DJ. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. It's so appropriate. It's so appropriate. It started raining while you're doing a take on why sad music is better. Um, so I went and I, I was curious about the current top songs um, in the United States. Um, so I looked at the current U.S. top 100 according to Spotify. Later I went to Billboard <laughs> for my sources. Right. Um, but on the day, it was a few days ago, so this might have changed by now, but I looked at the top 20 songs that are popular in the U.S. right now, um, and I ranked them on the same scale, and I gave them a sadness quotient. If you're interested, the top, star, the, the top song when I was looking is Rockstar um, by DaBaby and Roddy Rich, and I gave that a zero for neutral. Okay. Um, the second, this, this is actually, this is a very good, um, metric. I'm going to give you the top three, and then I'm going to skip down a few to the, the um, number seven spot. So the top, okay. I told you, number two, when I was looking, is Wishing Well by Juice World, which I gave a one for sad. Number three okay. is Cardigan by Taylor Swift, which I gave a one for sad. Um, then oh, yeah. The first one that I got to that was a happy song that I gave a negative one is number seven, which is What's Poppin' by Jack Harlow, Tony Lee, Lainez, Tanuki, and Lil Wayne. Okay. Um, which I ranked as a happy song. So if you would like to guess out of the U.S. current top uh, 20 what the sadness okay. quotient is, I will welcome that. The sadness quotient. So this is like, I have to think of, it's like divided by 20, right? Yes. Okay, let me think. Or just generally, like, where you think it falls between negative one and one, one being sad. What do I think? Do I think they're only slightly happier than we are? Or do I think they're much happier than we are? I'll give it a sadness cushion of, like, point two. <gasps> You're very close. It's point three. Oh, yes! Right. So there's, the, the top 20 is slightly happier than we are. Okay. But, like, between... But still sad. Yeah, still sad. Which makes sense if you think about two things, which is number one, the current state of the nation, right, uh, and number two, the fact that the like most recently released hot albums are the um, po posthumously. Is that the word? What does posthumously mean? When they're dead. Yeah, posthumously released <laughs> album by Juice World. Okay. Um, and which I forget the name of the album. And a few days ago, the album was released, which is called, uh, uh yes, Taylor Swift's new Folklore. album. Folklore. Folklore. Yes, right. which is also a sad album. Both of those yes. are sad albums. Um, I have some Juice World songs on my sad, it's, uh, 
playlist that I have that's called Goddamn Shardy Just Go to Therapy. Um, I have a similar playlist. It's called my, uh, the place is called My Emotional Swamp Music. And it's like when I'm stuck in the swamp, I listen to that playlist. Good. <laughs> Which I guess implies that it would be like happy to get me out of the swamp, but it's not. It's like, it's like yeah. music to sit in. We can, we can discuss that. We can debate that later on because I have some questions about the effects that sad music has on people. Um, but okay, so the current top 20 Sadness quotient of 0.3, so pretty sad. Mm -hmm. um, I was interested if I went back to a happier time, the days of yore, <laughs> if the sadness quotient would go down at all. Okay. Um, so I went back to the year of our Lord, 2010, um, which was a great year for music, I think. Um, number one song to, to place you in the mindset, number one song is TikTok by Kesha. Oh, damn. Oh, that was a good year. A good year I, for music. Really, if I just <laughs> I read through this list, it, it blows your mind that all of these came out in the same year. TikTok by Kesha, Need You Now by Lady Isabel, Hey Soul Sister by Train, California Girls by Katy Perry featuring Snoop Dogg, uh, oh. by Usher featuring Will I Am, Airplanes by B.O.B. featuring Haley Williams, Love the Way You Lie, Eminem and Rihanna, Bad Romance, Lady Gaga, Dynamite, Teo Cruz, Break Your Heart, Teo Cruz featuring Ludacris, uh, a bit. Ben, okay, this is interesting. Ben Rock by Young Money featuring Lloyd. Can I tell you, I thought that was a Justin Bieber song, <laughs> which doesn't I make was, any sense. I thought it was Justin Derulo or like Neo, maybe. Yeah, no. I mean, that's an interesting question. But what a wealth of riches. What a yeah, wealth. I don't know why I thought because he was born in 1994. I looked this up, so in 2010 he would have been 16. <laughs> yeah, so but he probably would not have been releasing Ben Rock. Um, and I'm far away by Jason Derulo. Um, Rude Boy by Rihanna. Telephone by Lady Gaga and Beyonce. Teenage Dream oh, by Katy Perry. A lot of good music this year. And I know yeah. I'm going against my own point. But there's a lot of good music that came out in 2010. Anyways, <laughs> um, I'd like to have you guess what you think the sadness quotient was in 2010 from the top 20 going off of those songs that I just told you. Right. So I guess where I am right now is like, I kind of think it's going to be around zero because no matter how I spin it, is TikTok, is TikTok happy? I think TikTok is just like neutral. And I think I classify TikTok as happy. Well. I oh, okay. well, here's, I classified all of the like party anthems oh, party as anthems. happy songs. Oh, songs oh, that are about really? going out and having a good time. If we can be at a negative two, we're probably at a negative two. Like, okay, so negative point seven. I think it's happy. You're very close again. It's negative 0.6. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so good at this. Okay. So, wow, this, this year, which is 0.3, that's a wide right. margin. <laughs> <laughs> that's a one-point difference, which means something, my friends. Yeah, that's a, right. that's a, yeah, you're right, 0.9. I don't know, so it's I don't not, know if you get into this, but why do you think we're, why do you think we're, Oh, well, I had, I had a theory, which is the state okay. of the nation. So that justified my next move, which is, which is to go back and compare the Billboard Hot 100 Sadness Quotient from 2015 with 2017. Um, okay. I don't know if you can think of anything notable that happened in uh, 2016, but I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I went and I looked at the U.S. Top 20 of 2015 calculated their sadness quotient to to enlighten you about this era. The number one song of 2015 was Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars. Jesus. Um, um, Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. 
uh, okay. Trap Queen by Fetty Wap. Okay. Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon. Blank Space by Taylor Swift. Oh God, Shut Up and Dance was such like a, like a, it's like a, a hole we all fell into somehow. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. It was a good oh, song. Cheerleader like, by Omi, that's a good song. Oh. Um, the Happiest Song. I, no, I, we'll talk about The Happiest Song. Um, yeah, Can't Feel My Face by The Weeknd. So would you care to guess the sadness question from 2015? I think we're probably a little sadder and a little more cynical than we were in 2010, for sure. Um, maybe like a negative point one. Close again, it's negative okay. 0.35. So okay. still pretty happy. Right. Um, okay, yeah. And my hypothesis was if I went, if I jumped up to 2017, that the people would be significantly sadder. Right. Um, so oh god, I want this to work so bad. Higher. I wanted it's it to work proof, really but bad. I wanted to work so, so bad. I calculated the top 2017 sadness quotients um, to orient you here. Number one was "Shape of You" by Ed Sheeran. Number two is uh. "Despacito." Uh, oh. That's what I like by Bruno Mars. Number four okay. is "Humble" by Kendrick Lamar. Um, also notable songs, Closer by the Chainsmokers featuring Halsey, which is a terrible oh, song. Um, Body Like <laughs> Back Road by Sam Hunt, which is a country song, but that I think is hilarious because my sister at the time in 2017 was living in an apartment where um, her neighbors would play that song all the time, but she thought the lyrics <laughs> were Body Like a Backhoe. <laughs> like the piece of farming equipment <laughs> still works really well if you think that that's, that's the words because it says yeah body like a back road can drive it with my eyes closed i know every curb like the back of my hand going 15 oh, to 30 okay. i in no hurry i'm gonna take it so much as wow. i can but that totally applies if you're talking about driving a backhoe as well right and i'd also never heard that song so the initial metaphor in the title made no sense to me and so body like a backhoe made the same amount of sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> Because yeah. that's uh, not, that actually sounds like an insult, I have to say. If I told you your body was like a back road and that song hadn't been released, yeah, it's kind of know, an insult. No one I drives think it. music has a lot to dissect there. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. I'll, maybe I'll have, you know what? A, a, maybe I'll have yes. a future take about country music. Oh, That'd damn. Maybe we should, we could both do takes on country music. I have takes. We could have country. a whole country music episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We can write a song. Country music we can make the special. Country, we have a song. yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, Wild Thoughts by Rihanna, Starboy by The Weeknd. Um, would you like Great. to take a guess at the sadness quotient of the 2017 Great. top song? So I'm going to explain to you my little theory, which is yes. that maybe album turnover takes so long that it's not going to get sad until the next year or so, and then yeah, say I that, did. So it's I did notice that um, a negative. And it hasn't changed that much. A negative point one. Yeah, gonna go with my previous answer. Yes. Um, close, but but not as close as the real answer, which is negative point three. <laughs> so oh, it only got point zero five happier or sadder, sadder than the previous year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's essentially the same, which I was right. not expecting. So, sometime in the past three years. America got sad, man. Yeah, dare I say, dare I say it's because Lana Del Rey started writing music and getting popular, and people were no, like, but this Lana is Del Rey, now. Lana Del Rey has been making music since like 2008, I feel like. Like, I was right. in Lana Del Rey in like early high school. 
Yeah, maybe when I, maybe 2012, 14, I think is when Lana Del Rey, I started to know who Lana Del Rey was. I'd say, so, so Born to Die, which is her first album, came out in 2012. And dare I say the most influential one. The most influential one, would you say Ultraviolence? I think, I think Born to Die made it like, that sad aesthetic suddenly became. Yeah, that was definitely the like sad Tumblr girl aesthetic. But yes. Ultraviolence is also quite iconic, and that was 2014. So it was, said, very I, don't think, I don't think Lana Del Rey has that much impact on the general maybe, masses. Okay, so maybe Lana Del Rey is not the thing that caused it, but, like, the way you measure it. I don't know how to explain this, but I feel like this is a thing. Like, there are some things that you look at to measure things. Maybe Lana Del Rey is the measurement. Maybe Lana Del Rey, like, tracks the trend of sad music. The rise of okay. her career corresponds to the rise of sad music. Yeah, I'd like to see a graph of that. <laughs> I will make it, <laughs> and we could talk about it next time. Yeah, that'd be very no exciting. Okay. Um, so I've been thinking about why sad songs are better, because we can see that at least right now in the current moment, even if it hasn't been so in the past, and there were sad songs on those lists, like 2010, I counted Airplanes by B.O.B. featuring Haley Williams as a sad song. That song is sad? Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky are like shooting stars? <laughs> I could really use a wish right now. I counted okay. Love the Way You Lie by Eminem and Rihanna as a sad song. That is. A sad I think song. I have a good argument there. Um, and also Need You Now by Lady Antebellum as a sad song. Those are the only three. Oh, that song, that song is pretty sad. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, pretty sad. I bet. Um, so... I, I looked up an article and I screenshotted the name of this article so that I could cite it, um, which I'm looking for right now. <laughs> Love that we are trying to give creators their due credit and also not get sued. Yes, I found an article in Psychology Today. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't remember the title of the article, um, but it's essentially like, why do we like sad songs so much? Um, so what I gleaned from the article and from my own opinions and knowledge. Um, We like sad music because we can relate to it. Um, I'd say that because we live in a society, uh, we're sad a lot of the time. Um, So we we can empathize with the singer um, and we feel like we're not alone in our sadness. Um, so it kind of makes us feel at home and at peace with the way that we're feeling and we don't feel like we have to change. I also wanted to, to ask the question, which, which we, you addressed earlier, which is why do I like to listen to sad music when I'm happy? You didn't really address that right. exact question, but you mentioned that you have a sad playlist that you listen to when you're sad. It and it does, it does it make you feel sadder when you listen to sad music when you're sad? No, it doesn't. Because I also- I think it makes me happier. <laughs> Yeah, I think that listening to sad music when I'm sad makes me happier. And I'd say yeah. that might be because we're like, well, at least I'm not in this situation. Like, we yeah. compare our sadness to the sadness of the song, and we're like, man, this is a really sad song. I don't right. feel that sad. Yeah, or, or if we like, do, then, like, we just, like I said, we like, found we, acceptance. Yeah, it's we not just us. Yeah. yeah, I'm not the only one feeling like Lana Del Rey's darkness or whatever that song is yeah. called. Um, and so my question was, why do I listen to sad music when I'm happy? Because like I, the other day, um, 
we were going to pick up um, my roommate's boyfriend and he got in the car and I was mm -hmm. playing my music, which I often do <laughs> when we drive around in the car. And he said, this is really depressing. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Because I feel good, and I like listening to sad music, and it makes me happy. And, yeah. like, I remember one time recently when uh, I asked the same roommate, we got in the car, and I said, what vibe are we feeling today? What would you like to listen to? And he said, nothing too sad. And without thinking about it, I started playing Frank Ocean, um, <laughs> which is quite sad. So why do I do this? Why do I love sad music so much? And I think it boils down to the variety of emotionality within a sad song, like the different things that a sad song can be about. And I did a little bit of brainstorming. We can do a little bit more if you feel like it. Okay. Um, but there is a depth that you can achieve with sad music, or at least music that is not happy, that you can't achieve with music that is happy. Um, yeah. As the great Elton John said, a sad song says so much. He was right. I agree. Um, he was right. So, Let's talk about the song Happy by Pharrell Williams. <gasps> Are you kidding? Okay, so good. Okay, let's go. This song, I don't have much to say about it, but I will say it's a bad song. It's a terrible yeah. song. And probably a lot of that is because it was really overplayed, but also, oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> something trippy about the song is that it's in the minor key for like most of it, which is crazy to me. Whoa. Someone told me that and I was like, what? You're telling me a song about being happy is like still sad inside? That's you know what I mean? Crazy. You know what? Yeah. You know what? I will. Maybe they had a balance. balance. I'm going to tell you this, and it's going to be sad because this episode could have been a lot cooler because I was going to have um, my other roommate, who you know and love, who is yes. a music major. Music. I was going to have her guest star um, to talk about the music theory behind why we like sad music. Um, but she's right. Sister, so. yeah. um. <laughs> right. Right, but maybe uh, it's like. Here's okay, because I have a little theory, which is like maybe right now, and like kind of for people living in post 2K, Y2K, it's like being really happy feels a little disingenuous and feels a little creepy. And so the fact that a song about being happy is partially in minor key cements this idea. It's like maybe you can't really just sing about being happy without still being a little like tone it down Pharrell yeah and yeah. the thing about the song happy by Pharrell Williams it's is so that song I feel like was popularized wasn't it in like the Minions movie yeah it, it was. was in Despicable it was like Me material yeah and it was in yeah. all the promotions and I think that song was mainly popular popularized by children who don't feel yeah. that guilt about being happy yet it's true it's true <laughs> and it's also true. If you try to listen to a happy song, a song that is unapologetically entirely a negative one on the saddest quotient scale, such as Happy by Pharrell Williams, it's just annoying because oh, yeah. almost all of the time, any person that you ask is not 100% happy. That's true. And if you're not 100% happy, listening to a song like that is awful because you feel like you're missing out and you feel like you would be enjoying it if you were entirely happy, but then it reminds you that you're yeah. Right. I wonder if what we should strive for as a society is a perfect zero on the sadness quotient. And that's how you know you have a healthy society because I feel like being a super happy is creepy and weird and is like, it can only happen because there's a lot of pressure to be happy. Mm -hmm. And then being sad can only happen because there's a lot of reasons to be sad. So what we should strive for is a net neutral. 
Yeah, um, that sounds good. And I think there can yeah. be, like, there should be occasions when you do stray into the negative and you do feel happy because yes. that's fun. But also, like I was right. saying, there's so much emotional depth in the positive side of the spectrum. So I went and I, I brainstormed a list of what happy songs can be about versus what unhappy songs can be about. Um, Is Lizzo on this list? Lizzo's no, Lizzo doesn't appear on oh. this list. Um, but as far as I could brainstorm, happy songs can either be about being in love. Okay. They can be about dancing, dancing slash partying slash right. living large. Of course. <laughs> uh, and being successful, etc. Um, yeah. Successful by Ariana Grande. It's kind of a wax mm. song. Um, I have a lot of feelings about, like, Seven Rings by Ariana Grande. Like, stop rubbing it in. We know you're right. Whatever. Right. Um, or they can be about just being happy or feeling good in general. I right. call this Be Happy by Pharrell Williams. Uh, yeah, that's really the only one that I can think of that falls into that category. Because it's kind of an insane thing to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's songs about feeling good. There are some, yeah, that's different, though. Yeah, and that's why I said being happy slash feeling good in general. Good, <laughs> okay. happy feelings. <laughs> right. So that's a right. pretty small, which also might be why sad or unhappy songs are so common, is because there have already been so many songs written about those happy things that yeah. if you want to write a unique song, it's much easier to write a song that is unique that is about something unhappy. Um, which I will say, I did look at Hosier's self-titled album, I think it's from 2014, um, which is a, an example of an album that is mostly happy. It got a positive um, sadness quotient. No, a negative, it got a negative 0.31 sadness oh. um, in my opinion. Um, so it's generally about happy things, but Lyrically, it's about a wide variety of things, um, but I think that is not common. Mm -hmm. um, I think mostly happy songs are about those three categories that I mentioned, but sad songs or unhappy songs um, can be about, for example, lost love. They can be uh -huh. about loneliness. They can be about nostalgia and memory. They can be about lamenting your past negative experiences or missed opportunities that goes along with that. They can be about the terrible state of the world. They can be about jealousy. Um, they can be about feelings of inadequacy. They can be about anger. They can be about loss. And they can also be just generally about sadness, depression, sorrow. Yes. Um, and that's just a brief list. I think there are many other things that I could have <laughs> thought of that sad songs or unhappy songs can be about. Um, this goes back to the, the adjectives that I assigned um, your <laughs> I love that. albums. <laughs> there, I love the idea of there was a lot of nostalgia in your... Um, yeah. Right, that's uh, all great. Yeah, I wrote down nostalgic, angry, wrathful, spiteful, mysterious, angry, <laughs> wistful, yearning, defensive. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm um, worried about how many times angry is on that, basically. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But angry songs are good too for the same yeah, reason. I love angry songs. For like, take everything I've said about sadness, apply it to anger. Angry songs are good too. Just look at Carrie Underwood and what she's done for herself. <laughs> the woman is powerful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before he cheats is the greatest song 
uh, that exists, I would say. <laughs> okay, um, I agree with you. I definitely agree with you on this take, 100%. If only because yeah. I literally don't listen to happy music, so I'm biased into thinking that it's bad. So. Yeah, I mean, neither of us listen to happy music. No. Um, so we don't really have anyone here to argue why happy music is better. <laughs> <laughs> we can we should definitely revisit this someday really briefly with someone that actually likes and listens to happy music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I have such a biased party listening to this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the extent of my take. I think I had a pretty seamless. That was so um, good. I was so I applaud you for being willing to play your music because I almost never play my music for fear of being a buzzkill because I'm positive that the first thing that happens, whatever it is, will be so upsetting in some way that it'll ruin a party or whatever event I'm doing. I did listen to some of your songs in the car with Carter. Oh, okay. We did listen to Babushka by Kate Bush together. Now when I stand by. We also listened to Laura by Bat for Lashes. Oh, that one's just like And probably Human Nature by um, Stephanie I stand by that and as well. And Land by PJ Harvey, which I think is where we stopped. Um, right. Our listening, but. I stand by all those. I mean, I really like them. I just really like them. Yeah. It's the emotional depth. That's what it is. Yeah, it is. I, and I stand yeah. by them. I want to know other people's thoughts, if they have any. Yeah. And I will learn them someday. If you're friends with us and you're listening to this, um, let us know. Do you like happy songs? I mean, if you're so, listening why? to this in general, you can try and contact us somehow and tell us. I don't know if we have any way for. We should make some kind of social media so people can contact us. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's listening. We definitely to this. should. I don't really know. I hope they do. I mean, I don't really know. Worst case scenario, they can write reviews and they you can just review us based on how much you agree with our opinions. Although I hope you do. Yeah. <laughs> but in your review, you could say how much you agree with all of our opinions. So yeah. Yeah, I'll figure out how to view those reviews. <laughs> yes, I can only hope that right after we end whatever we're going to say, the outro music is like whatever song was the saddest out of all the ones you've listened to so far. Mm. But only like twenty I, seconds, so we don't. I don't have to think get I can legally right. do that. Uh, <laughs> we could do a we could do a vocal rendition. What's a sad song? Here? <laughs> That'd be so funny, like a like a yeah, like a version you don't have to pay for. <laughs> Um, let's see. What's happening? I like lost notes. Yeah. But I also have really enjoyed your take. Um, also because I feel like everyone likes being told things about themselves based off of things that they consider to be reflective of their personality. So it is kind of fun mm -hmm. to hear you say yeah. the adjectives and sadness Well, maybe it's because we're both cancers. Oh, we are. Could be. <laughs> because it's kind of like looking into like it's kind of like a horoscope like yeah. your music taste wait what's your moon sign i have no clue i knew once hmm. not anymore i'll look it up and then i'll determine if <laughs> that do. is why we both like <laughs> bad music i don't know i just it's better now i just the cultural moment is for sad music everyone listens to sad music and it's better it is better yeah i'm glad that society is finally caught up they finally caught on Thank you, Taylor. No, but but we're not at that that sweet sweet point seven nine sadness. No, we're yet, not at we? point seven eight quite yet, but maybe we'll get yeah. there. If right. they keep releasing posthumous. As Taylor albums. Swift keeps releasing surprise sad albums, 
Yeah, I didn't know. I read a thing about it. Apparently, she announced it like the day before, and then was like, "Here it is." Wow, that's kind of boss. That's kind of I support that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not as didn't Beyonce release an album just like randomly at midnight one time? I think she did. I, yeah, I, she I did. just I don't I remember that. No. Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing to um, do. But also, I don't think I included them on my list of favorite artists, but also Taylor Swift's album was like co-written and produced by um, the people of the band The National, which is also one of my favorites, and they're also super sad. Mm. Um, so when Taylor Swift's album was super sad, it made sense. Nice. And I was really happy. I was really glad for her. Um, and my friend... It's a good album. I listen on, to like, it. I don't like normally listen to Taylor Swift, but... Yeah. I, did, I saw a meme on Instagram that was comparing... Um, Taylor Swift's new album to Phoebe Bridger's new album. And I was like, all right, that settles it. <laughs> I have to listen right. to it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I hope someday in the future we do revisit this with a genuine representative for the happy music listeners. Um, yes. Well, I'll look into that. I'll, I'll ask around to see if any of my friends <laughs> like happy music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I bet, I bet the roommate who uh, knows about music theory Probably, like, oh, she doesn't listen to music though, right? She listens to, like choral music, right? I forgot, yeah. and that's it. Damn, maybe my other, maybe my fourth roommate, perhaps. Mm, yeah, but also, your happiness music theory kind of dovetails into why I feel like a lot of old musicals feel really weird to watch now because they're so happy. And you're like, this is weird, yeah. right? Anyways, we uh, thank you for the listening. end, right? Thank you so much for listening to our unqualified takes. Yes, we'll be back in two weeks or possibly more. Yeah, <laughs> two weeks. Take that with a grain of salt. But yes, we hope you have a lovely night as we are having right now. Good night. I hope it's raining where you are. Um, and I hope you're sad and you listen to some sad music today. And oh, please listen to some sad, deeply sad, emotional yes. music. Good and I night. hope you stare out the window and I hope you tell yourself that you're not like other girls. And that's a good thing. <laughs> But in a good way. But in a not in a good way. way. You're not like other girls, yeah. but also other girls are not bad. Right. They're not bad. Um, you can have it all. Right. So thanks for listening to Tepid Takes, guys. And goodbye. Goodbye.